So the Mega Millions, do you have this in Illinois? We do. I was like, God, should I go buy a ticket so I can get my own I, swimming pool? Did listen, I miss I it? I think you should buy a ticket so okay. we can just retire. God. <laughs> Me too. Listen, if I, okay. If I won the Mega Millions, the first thing I would do would be to build my own pool. The second thing I would be. By the way, everyone, the Mega Millions jackpot, which is already, it, it's Tuesday. So who knows? Maybe yeah. one of us won it. Sure. That's how it works. We, we neither of us have a ticket, but um, is one and a half billion with a B dollars. So you could, this is your ticket to becoming a romance hero. <laughs> I would start my own romance publishing company. That's what I would do, Sarah. That would be a very kind service to the world. <laughs> um, You'd never hear from me again. So if this if this podcast is over next week, we're paying you know why. everybody back and we're gone. I would keep doing the podcast. Are you kidding? Amazing. I would. I would keep doing the podcast. And you know what else I would do, Jen? What? I would say all the things I don't say on the podcast. Sure. Because now you work for we are own our own publishing company. You get to say exactly. whatever you want. Whatever um, you want. Anyway. Uh, yeah. So I was just before we got on this morning to talk. I was reading an article about, like, the curse of the lottery. Basically, mm, like, what happens. Sure. If, like, sure. A lot of, listen, we are told, like, oh, all the people who win the lottery then, like, immediately have bad lives. I don't think that's exactly the case, but I think a lot of people who win the lottery, like, yeah, people crawl out of the woodwork and things are weird. One guy's brother hired a hitman. What? That's like to, a uh, movie called Fargo. Yeah. I've seen and it. And I was like, that feels like the start of a romance novel in some way. Like, yeah. I feel like we could do that. There, Listen, there are lottery romance novels. Our beloved Kate Claiborne sure. wrote a series called Chance of a Lifetime that is just terrific. You should go read that right now mm. for lottery Winning excitement. Lottery, yeah. That's like a really, it's a, it's a, yeah. I just want my own pool, Sarah. I'm sorry. I don't need... billion. I need like less. No. You know what I would do? I would take like a hundred thousand, a hundred million dollars, and I would make an octopus research facility that I could go play with the octopuses in. (laughs) Listen, I know capitalism is bad, but also it is fun to spend money you don't have. So, and that's not capitalism, it would be for research. People could all like other people, everyone could benefit, and I would play with octopus. Okay, here's like a fun one. Okay, what thing in your like neighborhood or in brooklyn would you like throw a lot of money at to fix or like update or whatever that is a really good question so I i'll mean, tell you mine listen. while you think about it so i live on the south side everybody by hyde park and at 63rd street beach there is it which is in jackson park there is this beautiful really cool old like beach house and most of it is, like, locked off. Like, it must not be a safe structure mm-hmm. anymore. And if I won a billion and a half dollars, I would go to Mayor Brandon Johnson and be like, I would like to pay to fix the 63rd Street Beach House. That's how nice. I feel. Yeah. Well, we live in the only district in New York City that has a Republican congressman, and I would like to change that. I just <laughs> buy that seat. Just buy that. Sure. <laughs> no. But for real. Um. Listen, this is going to be depressing, but right now we've got a serious we ha- we have a lot of migrants. In yeah, New York same City, in Chicago. And our mayor yeah, is a garbage person. And our mayor is not, but it has still been a big influx, and I would love to help those people too. Yeah, yeah. And so I think probably if I ended up with a billion and a half dollars, I would do a lot to help. In that, so, I mean, there's also listen. New York City has immense amounts of real estate that are just sitting empty in the wake of the pandemic and a housing crisis. And like those two things should not go together. So I don't know, I'd probably end up pretty poor at the end of winning $1.5 billion. But man, I would do a good job spending it and I would be able to pet octopuses. Yeah, well, see, there you go. And I'd be able to swim in my own pool. Those two are not the same, though. Maybe they could be like part of a like a faded maid sanatorium and like one side would be the octopus side and one pie would be like Jen's swimming side. <laughs> Just for Jen though. No one else is allowed. No. I mean, other people could go, but then like when I, I would just have my own dedicated lane next to the main part of the pool and other people. Oh, it would be like blocked off. You could put like a gold fence in or something. 
Um, well, this is one, this is certainly, this is a fun fairy tale to pretend that we are a part of. What a nice transition, Sarah. What are we, I am so impressed. What, Welcome, what are we doing everyone, today, Sarah? to Faded Mates. I'm Sarah McLean. I read romance novels and I write them. And I'm Jennifer Prokop, a romance reader and editor. And this week, we are welcoming a special guest. Sarida Cordova is with us this week, the author of Kiss the Girl, which is on shelves right now. So, welcome to Faded Mates, Sarida Cordova. We are thrilled to have you. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I am so excited about this book. Sarida and Adriana and I are about to do an event uh, tomorrow night in Queens uh, related to this book, and I'm so excited. Um, Sarida, you have a new book out. It's called Kiss the Girl. Yes, it's ma'am. part of a fairy tale retelling series from Disney. And uh, the series takes famous Disney fairy tale romances, modernizes them, makes them like mostly contemporary, huh? uh, takes out the magic, <laughs> and then Zoraida's job is to leave the magic in. To make the magic true love. Magic is true love. And it is so great. I love this book so much. It is a retelling of Little Mermaid. And you're a big mermaid fan. So I want to hear, I actually am like, I want to hear the whole story. I want to hear how it came about. Because sometimes I would say too, often we just talk about like the books. But in this case, I think readers are going to be really interested to hear like the story of this series and how you became involved with it. Yeah, it's actually kind of funny. I don't know if it's subterfuge or not, but um, I, so I, I've loved The Little Mermaid my whole life. It is, I tell people that this is how I learned how to speak English at a very young age because um, my grandmother sent the VHS to Ecuador when I was three and um, I watched it until it broke and my dad had to rewind it and be like, youths will, you know, Gen Alpha will never know what it's like to wait for a videotape to rewind fully. Um, once upon a time, you guys, we had to wait. Once upon a time. <laughs> and so it it was, it was, so I just imprinted on this story, this, this mermaid, this girl and the prince, obviously. Um, but as a, how I became involved in the meant to be series, I had known about it and I had asked around if I knew that there were two books already Uh a Cinderella retelling. And then the second one is a Beauty and the Beast retelling um, with by Jasmine Guillory, which I actually did in a, did my launch party with her in San Francisco. Oh, fun. And that was really great. And so I, I asked my agent, I, I knew that there were a couple other authors pitching for it, but it was sort of like loosey goosey. And so I went, told my agent, I was like, I have to pitch for it. I have, I have the meet cute. I have the idea. I know exactly the story that I want to tell. Originally, I know, I know some of the other pitches and I was like, no, 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 that's not, no, that's not going to work. <laughs> that's not, that's right. not going to work. That's not right. Um, this is not, it's not right. She has to be a singer. Like, um, and she and has so, to be a singer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, right. No truer sentence has literally ever been spoken. <laughs> and then, uh, I, and so then, uh, I met with the, I called the editor because my, my agent was like, you can't send them your pitch because technically, technically, Disney could own your pitch because it's in writing. Uh, <laughs> so that's why writers never do a pitch via email. These are on the phone. <laughs> these are great tips, everybody. And and so they 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 apparently loved it and signed me up. And I have another contract with the mouse. So. <laughs> but so let's talk a little bit about this. Obviously, Ariel, who is your main character, the names are the same but I, I decided to keep the names they they i try to give them different names and it just like she was going to be thalia and he was going to be enrique and it just didn't work and i was like it just it just wasn't working for me and so i i, I switched i kept the original names i am really like one of the things i am really fascinated by especially when the like and you can say more but i want to like put a pin in this is i'm really fascinated by when an author approaches a retelling like, how do you decide what to keep and what, you know what I mean? Like, I am I think that's such a really interesting, because sometimes we've had Kate Claiborne on to talk about retellings when she wrote Love at First, which is Romeo and Juliet, but it's like a really light touch. It's more like an homage in a lot of ways. Yes. Right? And so I'm really interested in kind of like how that feels. 
So I have always been fascinated with fairy tales because um, fairy tales have been around for thousands and thousands of years. So I always find it, I, I, I'm a college dropout, so I only very like loosely studied a fairy tale class. <laughs> um, but I remember uh, being sort of blown away by the idea of the original, right? Like when people yeah. say the original Cinderella right. and they mm -hmm. go to uh, the French or I, I, I don't even know or what, what country, um, but uh, German, I, I guess. Um, but there are iterations of Cinderella that go back to Japan, to Greece, mm -hmm. right? It's always a girl loses a shoe mm -hmm. and then something magical happens and then she uh, meets a king or a prince. Um, and, and so for me, like fairy tales are really about transformation, but they're also about transformation through magic, like a magical happening, mm -hmm. but also uh, about what, the society is saying about women at the time and morals, right? So you have something like Little Red Riding Hood, which is by the same guy, I forgot his last name, Perot. Perot I don't know his full name. It's very French. Uh, who wrote the, the Beauty and the Beast, right? Mm -hmm. And so he wrote the Little Red Riding Hood too. And in his version, um, she, the grandmother doesn't get eaten. She just gets murdered. Um, and then like a hundred years later, that's when we get the version of the grandmother uh, 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 um, getting her skin worn. <laughs> and, and there's like a touch of cannibalism, um, but it's like about Little Red Riding Hood, like a peasant girl overcoming versus like the first version was he was writing in the French court. So it's like, uh, it's about a girl getting raped and how you should not be alone with random men. And the wolf is like a man, yeah, right, like a symbol. So, so like, so it fairy tales changes as society changes. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. when I approach a retelling, for me, I have to, I, I want to keep the heart of the story, right? The Little Mermaid, a girl is unhappy where she is and wants to go somewhere else. She wants to, but in order to go somewhere else, she needs to transform um, physically. And, um, and, and so what does that look like in the century that we're, we're in the 21st century <laughs> uh, in our century, uh, in a 25 year old, um, in this day and age, right. Right. Like, what does that look like? And so I, because it's Disney, if I had written it without Disney, I might not have put in so many Easter eggs to the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, but because it is Disney, um, I was encouraged uh, more Easter eggs, like more cowbell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say that's probably like a big part of like the fun for this series is like seeing, yes. right? Like it's, you have permission from Disney, from Disney, right? Yeah. I, like Sarita, grew up loving, like The Little Mermaid was the Disney movie that I like imprinted on. And then... Um, I had just right right before I read Kiss the Girl, I took my daughter to see the live action Little Mermaid. Mm -hmm. So I was very sort of aware mm -hmm. of, you know, all the little bits and pieces. The every time there was a moment in Sarita's book that was a callback to the movie, it felt I was like, Oh, I get it, I see it, I do right. it. You know, I could I could definitely see. Um, but at the same time, like there are some you know, problematic moments in The Little Mermaid. There are some things about The Little Mermaid that don't necessarily hold up in, you know, 2023. And I think one of the things that you've done so really so well is thread that needle. Like Ursula, the, the Ursula character is really fascinating in the way, you know, she's not She's not a sea witch. She's not a, <laughs> she's not a terrible person. She has a real storyline. Yes. Um. And I love, like, I love that. I love the way that, um, you know, King Triton is reimagined as, you know, maybe a little bit more of a problem, dude. This week's episode of Faded Mates is sponsored by Melanie Harlow, author of Hideaway Heart. We all know I love a rock star romance. Here we go. Uh... 
Pixie Hart is a country music sensation, and all she wants is two weeks off from she the She deserves paparazzi. it, Sarah. She does. Those screaming fans. She's probably got, like, that loud noise alert on her watch all the time. A lot's going on for poor Pixie. So she goes home as plain Jane, Kelly Jo Sullivan, except Kelly Jo... Listen, your plain Jane days are over. Everyone knows who you are. Your family won't let you go anywhere alone. And so she is stuck in a tiny cabin with a tall, dark, and bearded bodyguard. Bodyguard. And there's only one bed. Oh, I love it. So Xander Buckley is extremely, extremely overbearing and very overprotective and extremely bossy and a former Navy SEAL. But That's he's literally also... what they're paying him for, Sarah. He's just doing the job. <laughs> exactly. And also, listen, this man is extraordinarily hot and chasing her all over the place, following her wherever she goes, telling her what to do all the time. And it's going to be great. <laughs> I wonder what's going to happen between these two. I'm guessing they're going to get together, Jen. <laughs> All signs point yes. Um, you can check out Hideaway Heart in print ebook or with your monthly subscription to Kindle Unlimited. If you love a bodyguard romance in a small town with only one bed where Kelly Joe slash Pixie Heart is having none of it and tells him to go to the couch, you should check out Hideaway Heart. Thank you to Melanie Harlow for sponsoring this week's episode. So maybe at this point, you could tell us the plot summary for everyone who's at home and oh, yeah. has not read the book yet <laughs> before we get into the King Triton. Yeah, yeah. Kiss the Girl is about uh, Ariel Del Mar, who is part of a pop star phenomenon called Siren 7. And uh, the night of their retirement concert with all her sisters, with all her sisters, all six of her sisters, um, her father tells her, actually, you're not retiring. You're going solo. And she's worn a wig her whole life. So um, he's like, you're going to have a new color wig, uh, a new personality, a new everything. And she sort of like sort of sacrifices herself so that her sisters can keep their their retirement sabbatical years. Um, but she has one moment of rebellion where she sneaks out of the the penthouse because always surrounded by fans. So she always has to sneak out. Sure. Um, and so she sneaks out of her penthouse, as you do, and uh, goes to Brooklyn to a concert. Um, and at that moment, there's a young man named Eric Reyes, who's at the beginning of his search for stardom. And he's he's starting his, uh, uh, what's it called? His, uh, his national tour, first ever tour. And they literally collide, which is my favorite type of meet cute, where they physically crash into each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and she does it by saving his guitar from getting stolen by a like a attenzione pickpocket. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, and and uh, they have one of those magical fairy tale New York nights where they stay up to like the literally the next dawn. Um, and she ends up going on tour with him. So there's only one bus. But uh, <laughs> in order to go on tour, she makes a promise that she will not get with him um and he does well, she he promises things. his manager his his manager his name is odelia garcia who is um, the ursula figure the ursula character she and, makes a deal uh, she makes a deal and he makes a deal too with his friends um but his is more of like a fun deal because he wants to get taken seriously by his by his buddies instead of being mm-hmm. like a himbo <laughs> You love a himbo. Perfect. Why do I know that I about do. you? You love a himbo. She does love a himbo. <laughs> From because of the Zoe Castile yeah, sex. Zoe Castile. That's why. Sex I was like books. Well, you said himbo, and I was like, wait, I know something about you. Wait, is it stripped? Yes. Stripped, stripped right? and hired. Flash is not, he's not a himbo. He's just like brooding. That is a Beauty and the Beast retelling. Um but uh yeah, so that's that that that's that's something about me. <laughs> so Okay, we're, no so this episode is about retail. It's about fairy tale retellings, and we're going to get into recommendations. But I also want to just talk about mermaids for a moment because yeah. this is not your first mermaid. Sort of, no. I mean, obviously she's not a mermaid, but it's not your first mermaid. Could you talk a little bit about just mermaids in general and why? Why mermaids? You know, I think it was it was the Little Mermaid movie, and then there's something really magical. And I feel like if I get psychological about it. 
I feel like I've always been attracted to uh, fairy tale, uh, supernatural creatures mm. because they sort of straddle this in between world, um, like the like the TV show Buffy, right? Like all the magical creatures are a metaphor for like um, p- hormonal changes, but also um, having one personality at home and one personality with your with your friends and at school. Mm-hmm. And for me, as like an immigrant kid. I, it was the closest thing to representation that I ever got because there wasn't like actual human representation, um, in a lot of TV shows. And, and so I think that I just like became, it was like, uh, a, a, a new, uh, like a way of seeing the world, um, through a different lens, which is what fantasy is to me. And that's why I love fantasy. Um, but also, mermaids i i read a book called serena by donna joe napoli and it was a it was a YA romance um about a mermaid who saves a drowning sailor who is who after her sisters crashed their their ship coming home from the trojan war and um she heals him uh back to to health but and they end up having sex and i was like but how uh, but how, but how? <laughs> like 14 and i was like how but how like my limited knowledge of sex right like and and so a fascination was born um and then uh i wrote my very first my debut novel was called the vicious deep which was um i could write that now as an adult book Mm -hmm. (laughs) and keep the title uh and <laughs> nice and that yeah um which was about sort of like a continuation of the little mermaid if like ariel had moved to land at brooklyn had a son and hit his parentage and when he like um when he turns 17 or 16 uh he discovers he's a merman and he has the champ he has to go quest to become the next sea king um and so i wrote so like i feel like i keep returning to mermaids um this past year or the last year i wrote a lot of mermaid things um i was part of the uh peculiar taste bonkers romance right kickstarter mm-hmm. um and so my short story my novelette because it's under a certain word counts it's a novelette um is called the captive merman's promise which is uh, a lo- like loosely a shape of water kind of type of story or free willy mm. really uh, <laughs> i was like you said free willy on a romance free podcast willy. fine uh i also i so if you want to know what mermaid anatomy is to me you should read that <laughs> that novelette it's under zoe castile castile with one l and um and you know i describe the shape of his water and uh <laughs> <laughs> nice uh it's it's a good time <laughs> Can can I ask one more question before we talk maybe about some recommendations? Because one of the other things I that's like I think interesting just about the other ones you mentioned, right? Is so I've read a million Beauty and the Beast retellings and a million Cinderella retellings, and to me those are um, like two fairy tales that are like bigger than Disney, like right? And mm-hmm. Disney is just like one of the kinds of versions of those stories, but like to me, The Little Mermaid is a di- like is Disney, even though I know it predates Disney. So, do you feel, um, or is this like a story that you love so much that you've read other versions of it, or do or are you really like a Disney Little Mermaid? Like, I don't know if that makes sense as a question. Like, I do love it. I I recently had to read reread the Hans Christian Andersen version. Okay. For, uh. I have an anthology coming out this year called Mermaids Never Drown, which is a, a companion to the first one, Vampires Never Get Old. Uh, and and so it's an anthology YA of, uh, of, of, of mermaid stories. And and so I do a podcast with uh, uh, my co-editor, Natalie Parker, and um, and we we talked about the Hans Christian Andersen version, and it is just so different, right? Because right. fairy tales have never were never supposed to be really like happy right Right. fairy tales are dark and fairy tales warn they warn you about the world um they're different from fables and different from legends and different from myths um because they're sort of like this 
obscure time that could happen. And they're also very local. So like village to village, you could have a very different type of story. Um, and, um, and so with the Hans Christian Anderson version, I think the only thing I kept uh, in, in Kiss the Girl was the idea that when she takes off her shoes, it feels like she's walking on crushed glass, mm. um, which was the Little Mermaid sort of um, bargain when she when she trades her her fins for feet, um, and her tongue is literally cut out um, by the sea witch in order to to it goes into the spell, right? Um, it goes into the the cauldron, um, so it, it so it's a lot more vicious. I think that like the Disneyfication of fairy tales makes it feel like fairy tales are about magic and whimsy and like right. mm. all this good stuff but like the origin of fairy tales is, is the opposite is the literal opposite yeah when you have a story that has such different versions of it out there right like how do you like or, or how do you decide what to incorporate mm-hmm. i think that i look at the how the story functions in the time period that i'm writing um, so if I was writing a historical version of the Little Mermaid, I have to look at like, not just my, like, obviously, Sarah, you're a historical writer, like, you're looking at the modern women, you're telling a story to modern women about historical women, mm-hmm. right? Um, and you still, you all, you still manage to have these like, wonderfully feminist, um, and complex characters. Um, so I think that that's something about when you're, when you're remixing or, um, reinterpreting because it's it's like a language, right? Like re- reinterpretation. Um, you're translating elements of a story to fit uh, the the people, like the the audience that you want to tell it to. Um, and I'm my first audience always, <laughs> so I I, really, I I pick the things that I like, and I, I you know there are. I know everybody feels different about it and like it's not super academic or like I just really like literary criticism. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um but like, you know, it, you some people can just take the names or just take a setting or just take like one one wish um and and still call it uh right. a retelling. Um which is fine, you know, everybody it's uh, like everybody likes different things, but for me I like to keep the theme and sort of like what what makes this fairy tale different do you think the popularity of fic has changed the way we think about retellings oh that's a good question i mean somebody did say during my signing yesterday it's like oh my god you got paid to write fan fiction and um i was like "Mm, sort of and not right yeah not yeah, because I think that like I I actually have never read fan fiction. I'm sorry, so I don't really Me know. Me neither. It, like I, I, I don't get I, it I really. Under- yeah, but I think that there's that's really interesting to me, right? Because that may be sort of on in 2023 that might be the immediate response to this. But the reality is is that fairy tales have been retold, like you said, sure, for thousands millennia. of years, right? And so, and especially in romance. I mean, when mm-hmm. I was when we were looking to choose when I was looking to choose the books today um I mean it feels like when you think about like Beauty and the Beast right I mean we have all written a Beauty and the Beast retelling yeah in a I mean I have multiple times like not necessarily even thinking about it but these archetypes and so I guess my question is about these you know when you come at the retelling of something like Little Mermaid, what are the archetypes that you that you come with? Like, what are the I mean, obviously, she has to be a singer, right? But (laughs) that's but that's not the whole there is something very powerful about the the loss and the gain in Little Mermaid in the the battle. Yeah, I the, the thing that I the archetype for Ariel that I wanted to keep was um, a sense of wander, like the act of wandering mm-hmm. um, because it takes, it takes a lot to, and again, it's like the immigrant metaphor for me. Like it takes a lot to leave everything you've ever known to go somewhere else yeah. where you don't know anyone 
and you don't speak the language and the language for her is like a new group of people. Um, and so it is, so she's, she has to have enough courage to do this on her own. And, and, you know, there's so many people who like just never leave their house and they live, you know, they live with their families forever. And that is very Latin. Like that is, that is what we do. Um, but, but I think for, so, so for her, it's a big deal to, to leave everything. And Mm -hmm. I think that for Disney's The Little Mermaid, you know, she also left the only world she's ever known to go somewhere strange where it's, you know, the human world is a mess. Um, you should listen to to Sebastian. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and for Eric, his archetype is the dreamer, which is not, which is sort of like, um, that the, for me a type of hero that is looking elsewhere when like the thing that he needs is right in front of him i'm i'm really interested in the way like the language of fic has overtaken something that i think has existed for a lot longer like that yeah. all that makes sense and right I, mean, I think you could call it that like you could you know well, like no shade to anybody like if you want to call it fan fiction i, I guess you can but but it, you know, it is, just feels, is, it feels like older magic than that, you know? Yeah. yeah. Do not, yeah. do not quote the deep magic to me. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> like, right. I was there when it was written. Yeah. Right. And that's, yes. that's how it feels like, yeah, this is not a new, this is not new. Like you, you and others who write retellings, who, especially about fairy tales, who are, who are negotiating the stories and the archetypes of fairy tales are writing on millennia of storytelling like it is a piece of a much longer and i look at every single one of my every single one of my novels um i think about what it what is it in conversation with right Mm, like yeah so when i say when i start looking at um like my next novel is about angels right so i i'm like i have to look beyond the single mention of angels in the quote-unquote christian bible right and like look at ancient sumer and babylonia and 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 the greeks right right uh for the imagery of of what we think of, of as angels um and so so like you so i i i feel like i go back as far as i possibly can until i hit until i'm like all right well i think that i think i'm at the actual origin because when we say like original, it's not always like there's always going to be more. This week's episode of Faded Mates is sponsored by Jess Bryant, author of Unbreakable Bond. And before Sarah launches into this, I want to tell everybody <laughs> I had an amazing interaction with someone who was like, I really don't even mind listening to commercials on your podcast. And I was like, yeah, that's because they're about romance novels. We don't mind reading the commercials on our podcast because they're about romance novels. I'm not trying to sell you like an air fryer or like no. a multi-gadget tool. I'm like, no. let me tell you about these romance novels. Part of what I love the most about this is that I read these and then halfway through, I'm already clicking by because, yes. and this is a good example of how. So just Brian's Unbreakable Bond, Zoe Kent, our heroine is a human and she turned 18 and learned that the boy she loved her entire life is not ever going to be hers because he is a wolf shifter. And if they were intended to be fated mates, Jen, he would have smelled it on her. Of course. Which he didn't. A well-known so- romance hero. <laughs> I mean, that's just, this is science. <laughs> so, Okay. So she realizes, like, she is wildly in love with this man. She's been in love with this man for her whole life. And she's going to have to watch him mate with another person. And it's not great for her. It's not great for poor Zoe. Except Rafe Hudson enters the picture. Michael's brother. is Michael's brother. And he is pretty scarred physically and mentally from an attack that left his parents and twin dead. But, and left his pack without an alpha. He was the alpha of the pack. Jen and he just took off so he's back because Michael and the pack are in danger and he realizes like he has to come and do the right thing but he rolls into town and instantly takes one whiff. Gets downwind of Zoe right? (laughs) I mean I could not love this more right? No and boom Zoe is his fated mate she's like what? There is no way 
And these two... I know. Amazing. Here's hoping it's a fast incendiary burn. I'm going to read the hell out of this. So everybody, you can find Unbroken Bond, the first in a completed five book series with um, in print, ebook and audio and with your monthly subscription to Kindle Unlimited. Thank you. Bitezer? I hope so. Thank hope you so. to Jess Bryant. Promise the premise. Happy birthday, Jess. And thank you to Jess Bryant. We wish you a happy birthday. And thank you for sponsoring this week's episode of Faded Bates. So let's do some recommending. Okay. Uh, Zoraida, do you, we'll let you go first since you're a guest. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I have a Cinderella. Always uh, a classic. I'm sure you've... Doesn't matter. Do it anyway. Done, but, Listen, um, if, if, we're for if it. The, if the Boot Fits by Rebecca Weatherspoon. No, let's do it. Yeah. So... In, um, and I've already forgotten the character names. Um, <laughs> That's welcome to Faded Mates, everyone. No one knows the I... titles or the character <laughs> names. <laughs> it, it really is like I, I keep like the sensation of like, oh my God, he's hot. Um, and Amanda and Sam. Um, and so, it, If the Boot Fits is the second book in Rebecca's Cowboy series um, that came out, I think, in 2020 or 2021. Uh, and it is, it is a, it is loosely Cinderella. And, and so this is a version of Cinderella where you take the archetype, the, 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 the trope of the secret identity and the evil stepmother, but instead of an evil stepmother, she's, um, her, her boss, uh, a la, um, Devil Wears Prada. Right, so they have yeah. this codependent relationship, um, and they're both actors. So Amanda and Sam are actors. He wins an Oscar or big award for a movie that he's not very happy with. He comes from like a rancher type of family, um, and uh, so it's it's about the two of them having like one night where she walks away with something that belongs to him. So instead of him taking her slipper, she takes his his Oscar goodie bag. And his nice. award. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so there, that's where sort of like the Cinderella aspect comes in, and of course the title. But um, it's sort of this idea of finding something that quite literally, literally, and 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 emotionally fits um, as you're like the thing about Cinderella is that like they don't actually get to know each other, um, right? And you know, so and, like he just puts a slipper on and marries her. <laughs> um, but in, you know, in this version, they they keep meeting unexpectedly through like actor friends and she goes to his family's ranch and there's like, you know, uh, learns his family secrets and and um, under like learns who he is as a person. So it's a sort of like unveiling to to under of of their not secret identities, but like the lies that they sort of told the, the, the frivolous lies, like mm-hmm. they're not hurtful lies. Um, but the, it is very stressful, but I think that Rebecca does something very well in her books, which is she, she keeps things like lower angst um, so that they're resolved in a less, like uh, if you don't like, like super stressful angsty <laughs> stuff like that, like it's, you know, it's obviously HEA, but um but as they're sort of unveiling or revealing themselves to each other, that's, they realize like they are the perfect fit for one another. Um, and so, yeah, that's a Cinderella. Perfect. I love it. Um, Jen, do you have a Cinderella retelling? No. Because I'm, I'm actually wondering if we can do this without repeating the originals. I mean, mm-hmm. let's right. see. Let's see if we could do it. Challenge accepted. I've got, so, I've got two. So neither okay. is Cinderella. I'm going to go next because I'm going to take Beauty and the Beast off the table quickly. I mean, oh my God. listen, I I do not have a Beauty and the Beast, but I love Beauty and the Beast retellings. Like uh, every yeah. time I've, I'm like, yes, I will read that. Thank you. Okay. So my pick is Brearley by Astrid Lynn Gray. It's a male, male World War II era retelling of Beauty and the Beast. Um, it's set in the 1940s in a big French castle that is, you know, World War II is raging through France. And there is a parson in the country and um, he stops and he picks one rose 
um, from the garden of this like magical castle that has this like lush gardens. And it's like the only place in the country that is, um, it's sort of somehow protected from the ravages of war. Um, The moment he does, he is um, collected by a beast, by the master of this house. Um, and brought inside and kept in a cage, and he falls. This is the 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 love story between this man, essentially Belle's father, right, and the beast who has collected him. Um, and they there is a curse. Uh, the beast is a dragon. Dragon romance is very hot right now. It is so. <laughs> Here you go. Um, and there is this very intense, emotional kind of love in a phone booth feel to this. As you all know, this is what I love about romances. Um, there's, I have a very particular affinity for love in a phone booth. And this is it, except just love in a castle during a war. You do love that one. I think you've mentioned it before. I do. I really, I love Astrid Glenn Gray. My favorite, as you all know, one of my very favorite romances is Honey Trap, which is... right. Set in the 50s are all, or early 60s. Are all of that author's books World War II? I'm sorry. I like, no, I'm just asking questions. Well, Honey now, Trap but... is Cold War. Same. So later. <laughs> same. Same energy. One I mean a different generation of people, but sure. <laughs> okay. I actually don't know. I haven't read them all. And now that I'm looking at um her, her she's had, she has a lot of books now. That I have not well, caught up on. Time, see, this is like one of the nice things about like sort of like combing through the mental archives is there's so many authors. I'm like, oh, I love that book. And then you check them out and find they have new books and it's so exciting. Okay. So I um, am going to talk about uh, West Side Love Story by Priscilla Oliveris. Um, oh, I, I yeah, I, so this is actually, I, my mom loves West Side Story. This is like a really, this is really cute. She and her friends went to go see it at the movie theater the summer before eighth grade. And then she tells the story about how like that entire summer, they just would like hang out in her basement and like be the sharks and the jets. And like, they knew all the choreography and everything. Like when you're a jet, you're a jet. Right. And (laughs) I remember as a kid, like kind of feeling like, my God, this movie lasts forever. But this summer, um, West Side Story was at the Lyric Opera in Chicago, and I saw it on like a. You know, I was walking home from work, and I saw like the bu- the ad on like the bus stop, and I like immediately texted my mom and was like, "I've never seen West Side Story on stage." Like what? And she said, "Me neither." So she came out, and we saw it together, and it's just like this is like one of those. I don't know. It's just I really love West Side Story. I even love the Spielberg movie. Like I'm fine with it, <laughs> even though that guy i just pretend didn't exist but like rita moreno being like recast as doc i mean like the whole thing i just think is really cool so west side love story is a retelling by priscilla that is about essentially like two families the capulettas and the monteros in i think it's texas because they're dueling mariachi bands And one of the reasons that this is also really cool to me is I briefly lived in Texas when I did Teach for America and basically like was like a white girl from the north who knew nothing and was like, Mariachi, what's this? So it was also (laughs) just like sort of cool for me to like, I don't know, like be steeped in that world again. And so um, in this in this book, well, and the other thing that I think the this book really captures that I don't think anybody does as well as Priscilla is like the power of family expectations right like so i mean a lot of romance we've talked about this before essentially like family is often on the periphery or there's like found family but in priscilla's books it is your family of origin and like what they expect of you and what they want of you and so this is actually like a great example of it and so what happens is um, mariana has been adopted and has like a of sisters and they are part of a um a mariachi band and i think that like that's a big part even though she has like another job i think she is a healthcare worker of some kind she also is part of this all women mariachi group and so what happens is angelo is on the other hand and essentially the plot the dueling kind of you know sharks and jets feelings is because i think his parents and her parents 
were once in the same mariachi band and then like split up and now they're founding their own like kind of you know different ones so like you know like the the bad blood comes from like the parents generation and so you know angelo and mariana like realize like they have this unexpected kiss and then of course he realizes oh no she's a capuleta Mm -hmm. So if you really loved West Side Story like I do or like a Romeo and I mean, obviously, West Side, West Side Story is itself a retelling of Romeo and Juliet, then I think this would be a really fun one for you to check out. I love it. I love Priscilla's books. She's great. I love Priscilla. She's she's fabulous. This week's episode of Faded Mates is sponsored by Chloe Angel, author of Pada Don't. I love a romance about ballet. I don't know if you know that about me. I did not know that about As you. a kid, I had these like books about like YA romance in the ballet world that I was like obsessed with. And so I, I'm really excited about reading this. So Heather Hayes is our main character. She is a principal dancer. She has everything going for her. She has um, newly engaged to ballet royalty Jack Anderson, but everything comes crashing down once Jack gets caught cheating. And all of a sudden, she's like kind of swept up in this huge drama. And she is determined to really prove to the ballet world that she earned her place on her own merits, not because of like his nepotism. She's not a nepo baby. And so <laughs> the only place that will take her is as, as the Australian National Ballet is like a guest performer. And so there she meets Marcus Campbell. And he's also kind of down, right? He's had a really hard year. He is recovering from a terrible injury that he um, tore up his Achilles on stage. And, you know, his dad didn't get to see him perform before he passed. And so, like, these are two broken people, but they found an immediate mutual attraction together. But they cannot act on it because the ANB has a very strict no dating policy. And so even though they are, you know, like know that they are perfect for each other, is it worth it to break the rules, especially when they are both already like so on the edge in the belt? Yeah, they have so much to prove. I love it. Well, you can read Potidon in print or in E. Or if you order it from ChicagoReviewPress.com and use the code FATED25, you'll get 25% off. Again, it's ChicagoReviewPress.com forward slash don't and use the code FATED25. As always, this link is in show notes. So just head over there and click. Thanks so much to Chloe Angel for sponsoring this week's episode. Jen, I'm just calling you on that's a little bit of a cheat. It's not a fairy tale, but I'll allow it. I believe the topic was retellings. I did not get the fairy tale only. Well, maybe I should transition then to telling you about. So, listen, everybody. My favorite fairy tale is Rumpelstiltskin. But else, <gasps> right? It's so good. It's the best. I have two. That they're technically okay. Oh, Caesar, I just got a Rumpelstiltskin too. Tell, no, tell me because I well, like okay. So everybody, Wicked in the Wallflower is essentially a Rumpelstiltskin retelling. Oh. I wrote a Rumpelstiltskin retelling. Yes, Wicked I know the that there's there's a couple that have come out. There's like one called Guilt, but I haven't read it yet. Um, That's a good name for a Rumpelstiltskin retelling. <laughs> yeah, but. There's actually one. Have you read Naomi Novik? So this is the one I was going to ask you about because I. So anyway, as preparation, I was like, I should see if there's any Rumpelstiltskin retellings. What am I doing? I would love these. And the only one I know is Wicked in the Wallflower. And then I came across. It's called Spinning Spinning Silver. Silver, And I've not read it, but I was like, I am about to buy it because it it looks perfect for me. It is. So it is very much like uh, Naomi writes beautifully like uh the first book is called uprooted which is i was gonna i was i was trying to figure out which one i should do um but uprooted is is a beauty and the beast but he's a a dragon because it's sort of a eastern european fantasy kingdom Mm. um and these came out years ago they were they're they're highly lauded the thing about these books is that fantasy readers call them romance and romance (laughs) readers call them fantasy with a touch oh, right well this is what we talked about in the last the last time you were on the podcast yeah yes. it's incredibly difficult to find it's this. incredibly difficult so this is not romantic 
It is like well, a beautifully fleshed out world with uh, a lot of world building. And then like the romance is a super slow burn. Um, and I wish that there was more romance in these because um, I, I wanted to spend more time with, with the couple. But like I was really fascinated with in Spinning Silver, the twist is that sh- the girl is Rumpelstiltskin mm-hmm. and she's a young Jewish woman. woman. And so she, so it is this like, um, she really goes deep into the way that people treated Jewish communities in in this during like the I mean now but also right. in, in Europe mm-hmm. uh, in these time periods and um, there's a Fae race called the Stark and so she he the the Stark king basically kidnaps the woman named Mariam um, who or I, I think it's Mariam or Miriam, but it's, it's, um, the spelling is, is, is different than what I'm used to. Um, and, and kidnaps her and takes her to his fairy kingdom, which is, uh, a, a, an ice kingdom. Yeah. Um, and she basically has to convert things to gold mm. and silver, uh, in, in his treasure trove. Um, and so it is, it's really beautifully written. They're, they're so gorgeous. The audiobooks are great. And those are going to be the my audiobooks my are great. Okay, yeah. This is. I mean, I've said it before. People keep saying romanticy is like the next big thing, and I'm just like, define it. And how do you make romance readers feel like it's enough romance, and fantasy readers feel like it's not too much? It's never. It's never enough fantasy. It's never enough fantasy. Yeah. To be honest, I know uh, Thea Thea Guanzon, uh, Hurricane Wars. That that is romanticy. That new that book is coming out. I don't know this year. I think. I think uh-huh. Zoraida, you are um, defining romanticy in the way that fantasy has rom- defined romanticy in a long way in a long for a long time. I think romance is very much right now attempting to co opt that word, yeah, uh, and turn it into what seems like kind of light paranormal. Like, yeah, I don't know. I it continues yeah, to be like, a bit fantasy- mysterious yeah. to me. I don't, and yeah. Look. Fantasy has so many umbrellas. Yeah. But like, uh, to me, like I say fantasy, when I say fantasy, I mean like oh, another I know. world. Right. Oh, I, right. I know what you there mean. To be, there better be yeah. a map. Is what's right. <laughs> yeah. There better be a map. There better be a map. <laughs> and many of kingdoms. And romance readers are like, there better be kissing. Yeah. yeah. Right. And I, and I want both. I want both. No. I just, um, I, I I need the world, and I know I know Sarah. You're like, let me skip the first two chapters and get. To <laughs> <laughs> We're monsters. I'm sorry. I'm, sorry. I'm so sorry. There's this you. great I- TikTok that I should have actually sent to you, but I think I just sent to Jen, and it said something like, you know, me reading a fantasy novel, and it was like, I'm in the realm of <laughs> with, with my my companions, Harv Snafna and Jeff. <laughs> Same girl, same. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, and I tr- I traded my Hufflegoffin for... Um, that is absolutely how I feel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> absolutely how I feel about the whole thing. But listen, we support you if you love it. And... Um, I mean, we yeah. support you if you love it. I'm just saying I don't really... I feel Which this thing. This, that's not. I just don't feel like it exists. Help. We're never like, gonna I'm help. Like, oh, we're not. We're not gonna get on even footing. I think, and um, I, I don't go on the TikToks because it terrifies me. Yeah, same. Fair. Um, <laughs> but, but but like back to Naomi Novik. Like Naomi, uh, specifically Spinning Silver and Uprooted, they're both told in a sort of fairy tale like way. Mm-hmm. So, um, but not. But it's still accessible. Like, it's not like Stardust by Neil Gaiman, which yeah. is very much like ye old wall. And like, they talk <laughs> really strange in the beginning, even though it's my favorite Neil Gaiman book slash movie. Yeah. All so right. that's one I was going to talk about as a speculative. Perhaps I will read it. And then I was like, oh, it's right. It will tell me if I'll like it. So I hope you like it. If you don't like it, I'll, I'll owe you a beer. <laughs> Um, so wait, so Jen, was that, do you have another rack? No, wait, I, Zoraida, was that your rack, Spinning Silver? Spinning Silver, yeah, I was, okay. I was, I was, I was waiting, because since you did Beauty and the Beast, I was going to do Uprooted, even though they're both by the same author. Okay. What about you, Jen, Sarah? do you have another? Oh, all right, so, um, well, I mean, can I, are you going to, well, 
pause. Are you going to do Goldilocks, Jen? No. You go ahead. And- okay. Mm-mm. So I'm going to do Goldilocks. Oh, my which, gosh. of course, in romance. Is usually real <laughs> and- dirty. <laughs> Those three bears. Listen, I- this is what people come to Fate of Mates for, Jennifer. That- Give the people what they want. We know what romance I mean- is. <laughs> That's the only thing we know. We only know what romance is. Our job is beach. Okay. <laughs> Our job is romance. <laughs> okay. So it's we talk. I feel like we just came off of an episode where we talked a lot about Sophie Jordan, but I'm going to talk about her again. She wrote a book. Oh crap! What's it called? Of course, it's called this. It's called In a Stranger's Bed. <laughs> sure. Ooh. Um. Oh, Sarita, you'll love this. So. Scottish set, contemporary. The heroine has just come off like has just like divorce or not divorce. Her her um marriage has just fallen apart right before the wedding, and so she decides she's going to go on the honeymoon anyway. So she goes to to Scotland on her honeymoon and decides that she's going to like just take the walks and like do the thing and hike and like be in Scotland by herself and like find herself and recenter herself. And she gets herself into a situation where there is like um, she's on like a drive and the the tour bus stops and like everybody gets off and then she, it leaves and she is stuck. And there the water has come. There's been a big storm and the the road has washed out. So she can't get herself like back to the main road to like hitchhike or whatever back to wherever to Edinburgh, wherever she was. Scotland. Yes. <laughs> there you go. So she is wet and she is lost. And so she, and there is a cabin right there on a lock waiting for her. Sure. And she goes inside and there's no one there, but someone has made stew and there is a warm shower and a flannel shirt that she can just jump right into and she is desperate and she will of course apologize and you know send some money after she has used this cottage for just to dry off and like recenter herself and then she falls asleep on the bed by accident <laughs> and in comes this very grumpy very enormous thick bad scotch <laughs> i'm not mad about it and yeah. i'm not mad about it either and it's a delight. And you can get it right now. It's a novella. And enjoy yourselves, ladies. I love a novella. I love a novella. You know, so something about retellings that I didn't say before was like, we retell and retell stories like almost to get it right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, but I made a note that the, somebody also did this. Uh, back in in their time period, uh, Jakob and Wilhelm Grimm, mm-hmm. um, they basically like wrote and rewrote their fairy tales until uh, the books didn't get panned mm-hmm. by their audiences. How fascinating! Yeah, even though it was like to preserve the German culture or whatever, but still. Um, they they would republish and rewrite so like there's no like one version of the grim fairy tales they've we've amalgamated them mm-hmm. but and i think that like we're still doing that today like i feel like i i think all writers have like a thing a theme or a story that they're trying to retell all the time yeah i agree and, yeah it's core story right yeah yeah. It's funny that you say that because one of the other people who's on my list is Eloisa James, um, because she's sort of well known and historical as like she is constantly doing fairy tale retellings. And one of the core stories that I think Eloisa comes back to every all the time is the ugly duckling. This kind of like mm. unattractive oh, yeah. like um absolutely and this is not just Eloisa, like this is a classic romance trope, right? Like any yeah, anytime someone back to Barbie, right? Someone someone takes the glasses off of a, a hero takes the glasses off of a heroine and then is like, "Look at you, you're beautiful now, right?" Beautiful like, all along. Uh, you've been turned into a swan. So, um one of what I love about her version, her like actual retelling of the Ugly Duckling though, which is called The Ugly Duchess, of course, right there in the title, um is that 
the um, hero love is sort of they've been best friends forever and he has always been like i i love her i love her she is my best friend but she is like not attractive and like i'm not gonna marry her she's not for marrying and then he marries her he's sort of forced into marrying her for a dowry they are both very young and they have this this book has what I think is one of the best bad sex scenes ever written mm, those in are romance good. Yeah. because they are children. Like and so I mean children. They're like in their twenties. And he's I think I think they are 20. And so like they just they're both virgins and they like don't they've never done anything like this before. And so they they fumble their way through it. And then his father kind of reveals that he's married her for her money. And she takes off. She's in the wind. Mm. And she comes back. He goes off, too, because he's, like, wrecked by it. He becomes a pirate. Listen, this is classic historical. (laughs) He becomes a pirate and pirates all over the place. And then she comes back and she is, like, the most beautiful swan. Mm. And it, like, feeds into this mythology of, like, we all just want to be seen for the beauty that we have. Yeah. Because we all have it. And it's... The ugly duckling, I think we see over and over in romance. Yeah. And I think often writers don't even know they're writing that one. Yeah, I think that's probably really true. And I think that like Cinderella, there's like seeds of that that are so pervasive through romance too, like the glow up, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that that's, I'm very interested in, I think that's why I'm interested in the retellings that are are self-aware, Right. Like I know what yeah, I'm doing. An and, overt one. Yeah. And I'm really thinking, as Zoraida said, about like, what am I in conversation with and what am I trying to say about right now? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's an, it's intentionality. Yes. Right. Like we write with intention um, because these themes are important. Yeah. <laughs> as you were talking earlier, Zoraida, I was thinking, and this is sort of like a half baked idea, but you can maybe, you guys can help me figure out how to fully bake it. <laughs> But it also feels something like something like fairy tales, which seems so often in their purest form and sort of the German, the French, the like the long ago, the fairy tale from yore mm-hmm. always mm-hmm. feels a little bit like women are put upon in that. Right. Like the, it's yeah. like women struggle or they're asleep the whole time or they have no agency or they're trapped yeah. in a tower or, you know, whatever the thing is. Yeah, and it feels somebody has like somebody sex with her body, and she pops out twins when she wakes up. Exactly, <laughs> right. right? Or like, there's the grandmother's skin is peeled off and worn. You know, like these things. It's always the women who are getting, you know, the trauma and the torture in these books. And so when you said earlier, like, oh, they're cautionary tales, right? Like they're right. they're supposed to they're threatening. They're supposed to feel threatening. It makes sense that in some ways, romance would be the genre, and fantasy would be the genre that takes these stories and reimagines them in a way that gives characters more agency. Like the character who might have the least power suddenly has so much more power. Because isn't that what the genre has been doing for so many years? Now that Sarah's seen Barbie, one of the things that I like wanted to say about it and have been wanting to say is I'm fascinated by the way that like, so it's not just like, you don't have agency, like, can I reimagine a world where you can get it? But I think a lot of fairy tales are also about, like, what has been withheld from women, right? Like, what is it you don't have access to? And one of the things that I really liked about Barbie yes. that I had, like, mm-hmm. the movie I've never mm-hmm. thought of before is how the world of Barbie cuts off women from their elders, right? Mm. And so she sees an old woman for the first time. And then, like, the whole interaction with, like, the creator. And I, th- and I thought a lot about how, like, the, like, the patriarchy and, like, demands to be beautiful are about saying, like, you should never age. And that that's something. But if you're never going to age and you can never see that, then that's also something you can't have access to. And then, like, yeah. that's cutting you off from wisdom. So I think, like, yes. that's the other part that's really interesting about, like, not just about a fairy tale is not just, like, what don't what aren't you allowed to do, but like, what aren't you even shown? Right. I also think that like, you're, you're, you're very on, 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 on point on that, because like, if you look at the, the iterations of the villain in the Disney versions, 
it's always it's always a woman, mm-hmm. right? That is yeah. um, a hag, haunting, yeah. causing harm. Because what is the worst thing that could happen is like getting older, yeah, yeah, or in the imagination of these these people. And there's something to be defeated and fought. Um, it's like tangled, like in yes, Mother Gothel, right? Um, yeah, and and so in in the original Little Mermaid, the sea witch is neither is not evil. She presents a choice to the little mermaid um and the little mermaid then makes that choice and decides to go through with the spell Mm, right but she's not like tempting her she doesn't turn into you know like the 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 vanessa figure which i also wanted to do justice to in in kiss the girl um by not making her a villain yeah um and and like that's something that Disney created to again like pit women against each other. Yeah, yeah. Which is the, the part that I hated the most in the new live action. Oh, a thousand percent. That live action, I have a lot of feelings about, which we can talk about. Not on the, not on <laughs> yeah, the, not no, on the. We pod. can talk about it tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest one is fish already look weird and cool. You don't have to make them CGI. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Flounder Flounder looks like a flashlight and it just is so in every scene under the sea I was like, what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, well, I don't know where we go from. Flounder looks like a flashlight. Like, let's wrap it up, everybody. I apologize. <laughs> Never apologize. Everyone. <laughs> There are so many other um, fairy tale re- retellings that are truly filthy, but that will be for another episode. Um, and, you know, maybe in private for Israel, yeah. I'll give you a list. Well, and I think that's like a really interesting <laughs> other conversation. Sure. Like, right, that is, we didn't even have to like really get into here. Like, what does it mean to oh, yeah. dirty up one? This book is is uh, is closed door, because the girl. Um but I wanted to put is still very piney. But so sexy. And like <laughs> these two are so horny for each other. So they are so horny. They are so horny. And so like uh I like Disney actually didn't get some of like the horny moments that I left in. Fine. Um uh and and you know, like I that feel like Roman readers right. <laughs> readers will get it. But I did have somebody be like, I don't understand why there's no sex, drugs, and rock and roll in this book about musicians. And I was like, It's a Disney, Disney bug. <laughs> yeah, it's a Disney bug. <laughs> Listen, it's so romantic. I read it on the beach and it was <laughs> such a joy and I loved every page of it. Thank you. It is the most romantic book I've ever written. And I all I want is for six more of these books. I want every other sister to get that story. And so if if Disney won't do it, Zorida, maybe you could just like write another series about yeah. six sisters. Yes, there you go. <laughs> who are like in like some other kind of club like a, <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know yeah. what podcasters <laughs> sure, there you go <laughs> um, this was so great Zoraida the book is Kiss the Girl congratulations uh, it is out now in stores you can find it wherever you get your books Zoraida where can people find you you can find me on Instagram at Zoraida Solo and that's it. And my website, ZoraidaCordova.com. Uh, this is Fade of Mates. Uh, you can find us at FadeofMates.net. You can find us online on Twitter at Fade of Mates, on Instagram at Fade of Mates Pod, on threads, but we don't use it very well. So, you know, one day we'll get there when Jen decides she's making the, making the jump. Um, and if you just can't get enough of us and you want more time and uh, more of us in your ear holes, you can join our Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash Thanks for listening, everyone.